Just as a disclaimer, we want you to know that some of the movies that we will be reviewing were shot in a different time and era where people of race and sex were not treated equally. We understand this and hope you do too. The movies or anything that happened on the sets are not the views of this podcast or what this show is intended to be all about. Exactly. And we want to give due diligence in presenting the movie and not the views of the cast or directors or anyone involved. But we also feel it's necessary to let the audience know some of the background information to get a feel for what was happening at the time of shooting the film. Again, we hope you understand that we do not agree with everything that went on and we just want to give out the information. And with that being said, hope you enjoy the show. Alright guys, welcome back to the Tragedy of Cinema. This is episode 21, and we will be discussing the movie The Pride of the Yankees. Hi, I'm your host Jimbo, and my co-host is... Ah, uh, it's not Terrence. This is a sports movie, and Terrence is not a big fan of sports movies, so I have a special guest in here with me. A guest, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Hi, uh, my name's Dwayne. I'm in my 40s. I'm old, and i uh a big baseball fan and a big movie fan, uh, so I'm... Excited to be here and talk about this uh, classic movie. Right. Um, so I was looking for somebody. I know Dwayne was a big baseball fan, and we were just talking over supper tonight, and he said that he has attended every baseball stadium except for two. So in person. So he's he's actually visited all of them. 
So, um, and I know he has like partial partial season tickets to the Reds. So I thought, who better to talk about one of the greatest movies, uh, baseball movies of all time, than Dwayne? So, um, Dwayne, just because Terrence isn't here doesn't mean that you're not getting rid of getting the question. Oh. So, yeah, the oh, the famous question. But you're like, yeah, I at least giving you a little heads up at supper that you were going to have one. So, Dwayne, go ahead and give me your top five favorite baseball players of all time. Of all time, man, that's hard. Um, well, big Reds fan, so obviously the big 70s teams had uh, some good players. Uh, uh, two of my favorite from that team, Johnny Bench, Pete Rose. Uh, I love watching the uh, baseball bunch when I was a kid with uh, Johnny Bench and the San Diego Chicken. Uh, also, uh, it was a big Reggie Jackson fan back in the day. And then uh, recently, uh, two players I really liked off the roads are Adam Dunn. And uh, currently, Joey Votto is probably my favorite player. So, yeah, see, so you're a little bit older than me, so I w- I'd have to go with some of my favorite players was, of course, being a Reds fan myself, was Eric Davis um, and that World Series team. Um, probably Daryl Strawberry, just because I thought he had an awesome last name. <laughs> you, know, um, you can't go wrong with Nolan Ryan and Roger Clemens, two of my favorite pitchers of all time, because they did. You may have hit one out in the park of them, but the next time you're coming to bat, you're getting drilled. <laughs> you know, that's, that's just the way they were. And then, of course, you know, the Mark McGuire, Jose Canseco bunch, uh, the Bash brothers. Uh, it just made it, and obviously the Wizard of Oz, Ozzy Smith, fantastic. Um, so... Without further ado, we're getting ready to talk about this gem of a classic back from 1943, the Pride of the Yankees. Dwayne, since Terrence isn't here and you're filling in, I'm going to go ahead and let you do all that hibagaloo. <laughs> okay, well, I'll take a shot of it at it, see how it goes. Uh, so it's the Pride of the Yankees. It was released in March 5th, 1943. Uh, the budget, we couldn't find one. Uh, box Office and Rentals has made over $2.5 million. The director was Sam Wood. Uh, there are quite a few writers on this. Uh, Joe Swirling was w- had the screenplay. Also, uh, Herman J. Mankiewicz also got credited for the screenplay. It was based on an original story by Paul Gallico. Uh, Damon Runyon wrote the prologue. And then uh, Paul Gallico also was a contributor to the treatment, but it was uncredited. Vincent Lawrence was also a contributor to the dialogue uncredited and then uh, Casey Robinson did some also some uncredited work uh, technical technical specs is uh, is a two hour and eight minute movie it the sound mix is mono Western electric mirophonic recording it is a black and white movie the aspect ratio is 1.37 to 1 the film length is 3514.05 meters and then the negative format is 35 millimeter. Uh, the cinematographic... <laughs> see, we all had a problem with that word. I just wanted to see if you could make it through without uh, tearing something. But <laughs> cinematographic process is spherical. <laughs> Printed film format is 35 millimeter. And then some of the awards. It, only, uh, it won one Oscar for Best Film Editing, uh, Daniel Mandel. And it had some nominees. I, I was the... Um, was nominated for Best Picture, uh, Sam Goldwyn, Sam Goldwyn Productions, Best Actor in a Leading Role, Gary Cooper, Super Duper, <laughs> Best Actress in a Leading Role, Teresa Wright, Best Writing Original Story, Paul Gallico, Best Writing Screenplay, Herman J. Mankiewicz and Joe Swirling, Best Cinematography, Black and White, 
Rudolph Matei. Best Art Direction, Interior Decoration, Black and White. Perry Ferguson, Howard Bristol. Best Sound Recording, Thomas T. Moulton, Samuel Goldwyn, SSD. Uh, best Effects, Special Effects, Jack Cosgrove, Photographic... <laughs> <laughs> Photo photographic photographic. Hey, here we go. Yes, hooked on phonics work for you, buddy. <laughs> Ray Binger photographic. Thomas T. Moulton again for a uh, sound, and then best music scoring of a dramatic or comedy picture went to Lee Harline. And the synopsis is the story of one of baseball's greatest players, Lou Gehrig. And as you can tell from the awards, this is an outstanding movie. I mean, it was nominated. Uh, was that the Academy Awards in '43? Forty. Uh, I think it's 1943. It should be right It came out in... Four, yes, yeah. 43. So, I mean, for a film back then to be nominated for all those um, and still holds up to this time, I personally just watched this movie probably last week, and I was emotional. I mean, it's more than just a baseball movie, but we'll get into that later. Um, so let's go ahead and talk about the cast real quick. The amazing thing about this cast is some of the baseball players actually portrayed themselves in this movie. Um, so you start off with the main character, Gary Cooper. He played Lou Gehrig. Uh, Teresa Wright as Eleanor Gehrig. Babe Ruth, not the candy bar, but Babe Ruth, the baseball player, played himself. Walter Brennan as Sam Blake. Dan Duria as Hank Hanneman. Elsa Jansen as Mom Gehrig. Ludwig Stossel as Pop Gehrig. Virginia Gilmore as Myra. Bill Dickey as himself. Ernie Adams as Miller Huggins. Pierre Watkin as Mr. Twitchell, Harry Harvey as Joe McCarthy, who was the manager, Robert M. Musel as himself, Mark Koenig as himself, Bill Stern as himself, Addison Richards as coach, Hardy Albright as Van Tool, Edward Fielding as clinic doctor, George Lessie as mayor of New Rochelle, Edgar Barrier as hospital doctor, Douglas Croft as Lou Gehrig when he was a boy, Gene College, uh, uh, Collins as Billy, age 8. David Holt as Billy, age 17. Frank Phelan as Yankees third base coach was uncredited. C. Montagal Shaw as Mr. Worthington uncredited. And James Westerfield as, the spect as a spectator was uncredited. So there you can see a lot of the baseball players um, actually play themselves in this movie. So since this is our first sports movie, we're going to tackle this a little differently. I do have some audio to put in here, so... Um, but we wanted this to be more of a fill of just general talk between two two guys talking about sports. So pull up the bleachers. We're about ready to just dive into this and just have some fun. So go ahead. Go ahead. We'll just start off with whatever you want to talk about. Give us a topic. Dwayne, All right, topic. Okay. Give us something. Um, well, let's see. Um, how about... Let me get to my notes. <laughs> the right place fancy, okay, um, fancy ipad <laughs> well you know a, a interesting thing is is a uh, columbia university um and uh garrig played baseball at columbia but he went on actually went on a football scholarship mm -hmm. and yeah um before we get into that, I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll head there, but the thing that what most people don't know is um, at the beginning of this film, uh, when Gehrig's playing baseball out in the, I guess it was alleyway, if you would, where all the people are there, and he yeah. keeps breaking windows, right, hitting the ball. Yeah. And uh, you see the scene where he comes home to his mom, 
And the guy's in there, he's like, and the policemen are in there, and they're like, look, you broke the window, you got to pay. And his mom's going over this jar, and he's like, I'm sorry, Mom. And he's like, I'll pay. he's like, please, mister, don't make her pay for it. I'll do anything. And his mom's digging in. She's like, here's 14-something. I'll give you the other $2 on payday. Um, the, the bond between him and his mother in this movie, because... Um, she, she's like uh, she's she was always like who's your favorite girl Lou you know he's yeah. like, you are mama you'll know, you'll always be my favorite um, but when she gets sick um, that's when Lou Gary because she always wanted to be an engineer so when um, Lou Gary or when his mom gets sick um, he decided that hey I can go play baseball and make money to pay for my mother's expenses and they were trying to cover it up him and his dad remember they told his dad yeah. that he had another job and she's like I don't understand why these people are being so nice to me in here. She's like, you know, they're, 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 they're just nice and they treat me well and everything. But little did she know that Lou was actually paying for all of her bills behind her back and paying them extra to help take care of her. So that's when we got to the Columbia University. Yeah. So, and that's where they found, go ahead, take it over. Yeah, well, I think going back to there, I really like the, the one thing she said to her son is that in America you can be anything you want to be. Right. She wanted him to be an engineer, but his uh, uh, path in life didn't. Right. Go that way. So. Well, if you remember, she always made him feel bad too because there was that picture of Uncle. Remember the uncle or who I forget remember his name. Uncle, She's like, don't you want Uncle my, Oscar? Yeah, I think. Yeah, he's like, he was an engineer. Don't you want to take care of your family like our uncle? You can do it. She's like, but he's like, but you know, I want to be a baseball player. Yeah. She's like, no, you want to be an engineer. Yeah, I want to be an engineer, mom. So I thought that was um, just the bond that he had with his mom. Um, just really, and you know, his dad covered a lot for him yeah. in this movie even all the way to the, towards the end you know because he was off playing baseball and then uh, she's outside like yeah he's away he's an engineer and the neighbor's like didn't you see the page of the paper you know and yeah. like what well, then all of a sudden all them people break into their house so and uh say oh so now he went to columbia university the year i the year before though he did play minor league baseball but he played under a, a assumed name so he wouldn't get loses eligibility for college. Oh, really? And so uh, it turns out they found out, and so his freshman year he w- couldn't play football at Columbia. So I didn't really hurt him in the long yeah. run. You know what yeah. I mean? But uh, you remember, I think it was the one time where the guy comes up to him, and it was uh, one of the guys from the Yankees in the movie. And he's like, yeah, just get out of here, mister. You know, he's like, I'm so and so with you. He's like, yeah, right. Yeah. So uh, here's one thing uh, that I found that Lou Gehrig had never played the game of baseball before hmm. or Gary Cooper I mean uh, that played Lou Gary he had never played the game of baseball before even as a youth and he had never even seen a baseball game oh, wow. when he took this role so with that being said uh, he really didn't have um, he wasn't really the best actor slash baseball player because he wasn't a baseball player yeah so I mean he had people like Lefty O'Doul working with him to improve his batting style um, he had several people like uh You'll hear here in a minute. I'm going to go ahead and play this clip uh, by um, Sean Astin, which was famous for Sam, uh, Lord of the Rings. Um, he talks about Pride of the Yankees, and he talks about uh, that how they used to uh, put the letters on his jersey and stuff backwards, and making and he was batted right-handed because Lou Gehrig was left-handed, and they shot this in reverse. So when they flipped the film, it would be outright. So we're going to go ahead and insert this right here and let you. Uh, Guys, here. Pride of the Yankees. Well, I just knew that that was one of those sensitive moments that if my mother was around and Pride of the Yankees was on, there was going to be sobbing. Because when Gary Cooper as Luke Garrett gives that speech about I'm the luckiest man in the world, and you hear the echoing through the stadium, and, and uh, 
you know, that, there, she was just gone. <laughs> she was just gone. And, um, I mean, obviously, his, his, that story, Lou Gehrig's story of, of uh, yeah, suffer, it's, it's suffering and triumph. You know, the triumph isn't as meaningful if there isn't the suffering. But uh, that, that real human human pain and then you know as an actor i've had to, i've done different sports movies and had to learn little things but the fact that uh gary cooper was right-handed and and lou gehrig was left-handed and they they like did it, they filmed it with the letters backwards on his jersey so they could flip it over i don't think i could have done it either way <laughs> I, don't think I, I think i would have messed the camera up or something all right so there you have it from sean astin um what a great guy um so uh Another interesting thing I found about this movie is that when they were filming this movie, they ran everything by Lou Gehrig's wife, hmm. uh, Eleanor. And they told her that, hey, anytime, Sammy Bowen said, anytime that you don't like something in this movie, you let us know, we'll change it. Um, th- she liked it so much, she said, we're not changing anything. She's like, it's perfect. So um, if you have something else, you can go ahead and throw something yeah. in here while I'm... Well, the interesting thing is, is that when we go to the college scene... Um, there, it, 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 there's a little interesting thing they do with the music here. I, I, I it's um, they, they come out with the um, it's basically um, Joseph Haydn Emperor Quartet. It's a string quartet thing, but it's orchestrated, and it comes to that end of uh, end of it, end of the piece. But uh, the thing is, that's also the German national anthem. Huh. So, and it kind of it kind of expounds on that scene because. Uh, uh, Gehrig was a, a second-generation American. His parents were German immigrants, and that uh, that um, you, you see that the one guy who didn't want him in the fraternity there, that was around uh, 1920-21, just right after the the um, right after uh, the First World War. So there was he, still had some animosity yeah, he, there. There was still some anti-German hostility towards him, and I've read in some biographies where that was one thing his, his parents uh, kind of were cognizant of and even when this movie came out this movie came out in 1943 right uh which is in the middle of world war ii so um so it, it, that kind of makes out what that you see that animosity between him and the and some of the members of that fraternity right so um i remember in that scene in the movie where uh, he gets so excited when they all vote to pin him yeah and you know they put that little fake pin or not fake but it wasn't his real pin they pin him and he runs into the kitchen to his mom mom look and she's like what <laughs> he's like look she's like oh you got your pin yeah so he actually got to join the fraternity uh that he wanted um something else um if, if you haven't seen this movie before we go any further make sure you watch this movie because um we're going to talk about some heavy stuff um Lou Gehrig uh, obviously played for the Yankees, and he he set the record for playing the most consecutive games at 2,130 consecutive games. I think it's over 14 years, if I remember right, something like that. Yes. Um, but um, it's it, and that that record has stood the test of time until Cal Ripken Jr. did it. Um, I forget what year he did it, in, but that was the last one to break it. So um, he really was the original Iron Horse, Iron Man, as Dwayne breaks his iPad. Sorry. <laughs> All right. Um, so uh, he was, like I said, he was original Iron Man. Um, this is also ranked as uh, number three of AFI's Institute list of the 10's greatest film in the genera- genera- genre of sports. Um, something else about uh, Eleanor Gehrig. Um, she actually, if you watch the movie, um, Gehrig presents his wife with this gift. 
and it's a it's a bracelet that's um, that he made out of all like his awards. You know, I mean, he broke it down. He's like, yeah, I got this for the batting average or whatever, and this for this. But that is the the bracelet that is in the movie. Lou Gehrig's wife put it on loan to him. <laughs> that is the actual um, bracelet that is in there. Um, it, it is made up of 17 medal medallions that celebrate the seven world championships and six all-star game appearances that Gehrig made. And the bracelet is now displayed in the Baseball Hall of Fame, hmm. which is very interesting. Um, do you got anything else at the moment? Well, look at it. He was uh, the the fraternity he joined was in real uh, was a Phi, Phi Delta Theta, um, and this uh, fraternity gives out. It's the only fraternity that gives out a war to a Major League Baseball player, and they give it out yearly to uh, it's uh, for you. Uh, to recognize an MLB player who's really um, uh, worked uh, in, a, in humanitarian humanitarian items. I know uh, uh, there are a couple of them that have, um, I believe, uh, like um, have have done di- di- different various charities and s- stuff like that. I know uh, I, um, there are several that have done ALS uh, that, that work heavily with that ALS. Um, is that is that known as the Luke Gehrig Award these days? Did they change it, or is that still the alpha? Whatever you said. That? It, it, the uh, yeah, um, the, yeah. The actual award is uh, the Lou Gehrig Memorial Award. Okay. I know, uh, like one uh, my favorite pl- play right now, uh, Joey Votto won it in 2017, I believe. Okay. Corey Kluber of the Indians won it last year. So I mean, so so here we have him. He's he's come up through. Uh, he's come from a tough life of immigrants. Um, he's worked his way to co- he's in college because he was going to be an engineer, um, but then he gets discovered to be a baseball player. His mom gets sick, and then he finally goes in there. He's like, I know I can take care of this. He goes in there and throws down. He's like, he signs, and they give him that check. He runs off to pay the bills. Um, one thing when he you know he was starstruck when he first got there because if you remember he's out there on the field. There's Babe Ruth and all of them, you know, and he just stands there for a minute, and then he sees Eleanor in the crowd. You know, she was. I forget who she was exactly, but she was somebody pretty rich or something with she her dad. Was, her dad was a um, she was a socialite in Chicago, and she her dad had connections with the White Sox, and so that's what it was, yeah. He, and uh, so he sees her, and he slips on the backs, <laughs> right? The 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 bats are lined up, and what does she call him? Do you Tenderfoot. Remember? Tenderfoot. Tenderfoot. <laughs> and uh, so that was kind of the name. And then later later on, probably I think it's that night or the next night, they're at that uh, restaurant eating. Yeah. And Gary goes over. He's in the back. He sees her walks in. He's like, oh, no, because he kind of had a little crush on her. So he went and sits down. And then as she's coming down, she sees him and looks at him, and she slips and falls. And he says, hey, Tinderfoot. <laughs> uh, so you could see the, the, the connection that they had right away in this movie. Um, Lou Gary. Um, he was a great player, and we're going to get into some of the stuff later in his life here in a minute, but let's talk a little bit about Gary Cooper. Um, he wasn't much of a baseball fan. Um, as you can tell, he's never even seen a game before this movie, but uh, he, he only did this movie because he owed a favor to Samuel Goodwin. <laughs> so um, I was like, wow. Uh, but he also went on to do uh, the Lux Radio Theater, broadcasted a 60-minute radio adaptation of this movie on Monday, October 4, 1943, with Gary Cooper reprising his role. Um, there was also... Um, they did another one. Uh, there's another radio thing they did. I can't find it at this moment. Um, but he reprised his role in the same same thing as Lou Gehrig. Um, also, Gary Cooper was actually born in 1901, and Lou Gehrig was born in 1903. Hmm. So when this movie was released, Cooper was only barely two years older than Lou Gehrig was. Yeah. Um, 
the sad thing about this um, is that Lou Gehrig uh, discovered that something was wrong. Um, he had been playing, and uh, here's a little clip from when Lou Gehrig started not feeling right and that he felt like something was wrong. So take a listen to this. Lou Gehrig is a Yankee legend. I think without argument, he's the greatest first baseman to ever play the game. When Lou Gehrig first came up to the Yankees, Babe Ruth was the greatest star in the galaxy. And later in his career, Joe DiMaggio arrived. But he did not mind being in the shadows. If anything, he was uncomfortable in the limelight. And at the same time, when you look at his numbers, they're staggering, you know. They called Gehrig the Iron Horse because he played more consecutive games than any other player. He was there in the, in the lineup every day. He performed his job brilliantly, effectively. Gehrig hit these line drives and just chugged around the bases. He was the avatar for the whole Yankee tradition. 1938, Gehrig uh, showed up for spring training. He felt off. He noticed that he was squeezing the bat harder. He was getting these blisters. And as the season goes along, his numbers are off, and he finishes the 1938 season with what for most human beings would be a terrific year, but everybody can see in spring training of 1939, he's stumbling um, out in the field. Now the reporters are all speculating about what's wrong with Gehrig. He pulls himself out of the lineup after 2,130 consecutive games, by far the longest streak ever in baseball at that point, and he goes to the Mayo Clinic. And there, the doctor instantly recognizes that Gehrig has ALS. ALS is a neurological disease, and it effectively shuts down the messages from the brain to the body, and the muscles start to melt away. All right, so there you see the uh, start of the downfall for Lou Gehrig. He actually took himself out of a game, breaking his streak. Um, this is when he goes to the Mayo Clinic, and uh, he goes up there, and they're trying to figure out what's wrong with him, and uh, he takes a bunch of x-rays, and he tells them, he said, you know, just give it to me straight, Doc. He's like... Uh, is this three strikes? And the doctor's like, yeah, it's three strikes. He's like, well, how long do I live? Or I got. And he's like, not really sure, you know what I mean? And, and he's like, I don't want my wife to find out. So by this time in the movie, his wife is actually on her way up to to see them uh, and ringing the bell or knocking on the door. And he's like, I don't want her to tell. So she comes in and he's all being happy. You know, we got another uh, x-ray and then we can go. And, uh, so as soon as the door shuts, she knows something wrong. And she turns around and she asks uh, his manager or his friend, whatever, she said, when's he going to die? And she just broke down in his arms. And that, to me, is that's when it really got me because for the rest of the movie, she just put on an act like she didn't want to let him know that he knew what was going that she knew what was going on. And it just kept tugging at my heartstrings, man, because Lou Gehrig, was, he never wanted any help. You know, he didn't want, he wanted to still be the same macho man that he always thought he was. And it just took a toll on his wife so during the casting of this um, there was a couple people that auditioned for the role of a or there was people that they think should have played the role like uh, Spencer Tracy Eddie Albert Cary Grant and Brian Donnelly they were all considered roles Um, some people wanted one of the uh, Cleveland Indians pitchers name I can't remember I had it here a minute ago they wanted him to play uh, the part but Sam Owen said hey it's my movie Gary Cooper's gonna be (laughs) Lou Gehrig um. So go ahead, Dwayne. Just throw something else out here. Well, there was an interesting scene uh, in the middle where, uh, speaking of Samuel Goldwyn, 
where they had uh, basically a, a, a Veloz and Yolando, they were a dance team. They were husband and wife dance team. And uh, uh, Samuel Goldwyn, he insisted on this uh, ballroom sequence so that they get some interest with the women. Yes. Right. I remember that's where Lou Gehrig and uh, Eleanor are sitting there. And I don't believe he had asked her to marry him yet, had he? No, because it was like was, a date, wasn't it? It was like one of the first dates, yeah. And uh, yeah. I remember that after that, she's like, well, why don't you dance with me? You know, and she gets out there and they start dancing. And you've watched this recently more than I have, but I remember she's like, well, she's like, you're just going on to the next town to your next girl. You know, and the, <laughs> you know, you probably got one in Cleveland and one in whatever. And he's like, no, no, I don't. And she's like, he's like, well, you? And she's like, well, I guess I could call up so-and-so and so-and-so. And he's like, well, wait a minute. You know, I was like, man, poor guy. Uh, I mean, that's the one thing I, I really like about Gehrig is it, he was kind of a, a shy kind of introvert. I mean, a lot of you see a lot of these other players that he played with. They were, you know, I mean, Babe Babe Ruth was like the most boisterous <laughs> athlete of all time, right. and, and, and Gehrig is just kind of total opposite. It's just, just kind of unassuming, quiet, and like he never never says anything hardly. You know. He, and we'll get to it at the end of this. Like, even when he gives his final speech at Yankee Stadium, like, he didn't even want to talk. <laughs> he didn't even want the day. It was like Lou Gehrig Day, and he was like, I don't even want to talk. You know, but uh, the manager at the time put his hand behind his back, basically shuffled him up to the microphone. And uh, I'm going to play that speech here at the end of the uh, end of this. So um, another fun fact is uh, Babe Ruth missed several days of shooting this um, because he was sick himself. Um, and I think it's pretty cool that the some of the baseball players played themselves because who better to get the acting right than the people that were there? Yeah. And one of the my favorite scenes in that movie is when Babe Ruth gets on the train, and he got that new hat. Oh, <laughs> yeah. 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 So they, he's like, I got this hat. He's like, and nobody better do anything to it, or it's, I'm gonna have fisticuffs with them or whatever. So one guy, they're, they're dealing in cars, and basically like, deal me in. So some guy takes his hat, takes a bite out of that, and then he passes it around. They take the bite out. One gets all the way down to Luke Gehrig. And Lou takes a bite, and he's like, ah, go ahead, take two. So he takes the second bite, and Babe Ruth turns around and sees him, and I thought he was going to kill him. But I was like, man, that was one of the best parts of the movie. Uh, so this film has a little bit of comedy in it, but it also, you know, it tugs at your heartstrings. Uh, when the, their parents, his parents especially, like his mom, when they go to the baseball game for the first time, yeah. <laughs> and she's like, are you sure we're at the right stadium? Like, the groundskeeper out there watering things, she's like, what are they doing with those pillows? <laughs> you know, he, he's like, yeah, we're at the right stadium. He's like, ah, and then, you know, Luke comes out, he's like, Lou, Lou. <laughs> she's waving to him. He's like, ah, oh, come on, Ma, you know. Um, but another touching scene in this movie was when um, the Billy, the eight-year-old kid, yeah. uh, was in the hospital, and I can't remember, uh, he had something where he couldn't walk. And um, Babe Ruth said, "Hey, I'll I'll hit I'll hit a home run for you today in the World Series. I think it was, yeah, the World Series." And uh, so Billy's like, "Oh, okay." He's like, "I'll be listening because he had radio by his bed." And then uh, Lou Gehrig gets over there. He's like, "He's like, sure, Billy. He's like, you can do anything you want." He's like, "Mr. Gehrig, would you hit a home run for me today too?" And he's like, <laughs> "Sure, kid." And then he goes, "Mr. Gehrig, would you hit two home runs for me today?" He's like, "Uh." Sure, he's like, only on one condition. He's like, if I have to do this, he's like, you got to promise me that one day you'll get up and walk in. And he's like, because you can do anything you want to do. And I thought that was a real-life lesson. Well, then later on in the movie, um, I think it's I think it's the last, the Lou Gehrig day. Yeah, and Lou Gehrig's walking into the stadium with his wife, and he's like, Lou, Lou. And he turns around, and he's like, don't you remember me? And it's the kid, Billy. And he's like, look, Lou. He's like, I did it. I did it. I did it. I, you know, you told me I could do anything. Here I am. I can walk. And Lou Gehrig, all he says is, 
you got a ticket for today's game, kid? He's like, well, yeah, sure. He's like, okay. And he walks away. <laughs> and to me, I thought yeah. that was a little... They could have done so much more with that scene. Like, I thought, oh, maybe he'll invite that's, him into the clubhouse. That's just that's just how Lou seemed to be. So, I mean, <laughs> yeah, he just... Okay, well, I guess you're getting into the game. I'd get you in for free. But I thought maybe he would at least, you know, hey, come over there and let's go get some autographs from the other Yankee players and tell them, or Babe Ruth or whoever, you know what I mean? Yeah. But come to find out that in that game that he did hit two home runs, even though he was striking out left and right that game and Babe Ruth hit one. But um, in reality, fact-checked, uh, there was a, there was never a game in the, that World Series where Babe Ruth and him homered in the same game. Yeah. Uh, there was a game where Lou Gehrig had two home runs, but Babe Ruth didn't have one. So just a little extra fact. So they, they kind of drummed it up for the drama there. Yeah, when I was a kid, I always thought that's just what players did. They promised home runs a kid. I was hoping maybe one day I'd get picked. Uh, somebody hit a home run, but it never happened. Yeah, well, first of all, we got to be close enough to talk to the players, Dwayne, right? Well. <laughs> uh, we all, I mean, I don't know about you, but did you ever go down to uh, Old Bush Stadium? It's our farm team here in Indiana for the Indianapolis Indians. Did you ever go over to oh, the yeah, 16th it was, Street and watch it? Yeah, we had the uh, the knot hole yeah. where you get, kids could get free, get in free. Do so you we remember Razor Shines? Yeah, oh, yeah. He was I mean, he was, like our, he was like our hero coming up. I, mean, then I remember when he got called up to the Montreal Expos or whatever, you know what I mean? And everybody's like, oh, I have his baseball card, 86 tops. <laughs> you know, it's his Expos, Razor Shines. And I was like, but, um... Baseball is such an interesting sport because it brings families together, like especially on dollar hot dog nights. <laughs> I mean, I mean, who can pass up on dollar hot dogs? Uh, but back to this film. Go ahead and give us something else there, Dwayne. Um, okay. Well, one thing is, uh, right after that that ballroom sequence, then there's a band number. Uh, the band is uh, Ray Noble and his orchestra, and the song is called "Always," um, which I don't know if maybe you're. If you're young, you're probably not familiar with that song. It was written by uh, Cole Porter, who was a Indiana native. He was, I believe, he was born in Peru, uh, but he wrote that for his uh, uh, wife as a wedding gift uh, right around that uh, in the 20s. And um, uh, it's sung. Uh, I'm trying to remember, I think um, Nat King Cole. If you're really old, might know him. Uh, sung, what do you mean if you're really old? If you, if you like music, you probably know who he is. Yeah. Um, I mean, we're not all as old as you. But <laughs> but, I, I know, but also that's used throughout the movie. Anytime uh, after that, uh, when you see him um, lovingly with his wife, uh, you, you'll hear the orchestra kind of bring that always uh, tune into the, the movie, which is, I thought it was kind of pretty neat because so, it's, it's a pretty, pretty tune. Oh, yeah. Go ahead, keep going. Okay, um, let me turn the page. Um, <laughs> Finger swipe. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, I like the scene where uh, where the the wife is. Uh, uh, I believe it was uh, Sam. The their uh, their friend came, um, and Lou wasn't at home, and so. Uh, Oh yeah, so she, uh, the she, dirty trick on she plays the part like she uh, that he's cheating on her, and so he that he's out drinking or something too, or something. Turns out he's helping uh, a, a Sandlot game for kids, and that's I thought kind, that was amazing, kind of a, a pretty cool scene. Or, yeah, or, because I was like, what? I thought Lou Gehrig was supposed to be this great American hero. I'm watching this movie. I'm starting to get mad. I'm like, Lou, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, you have this lady. She's in love with you. You've been married up just a few months, six months or so, and he's like, she's like, he's been gone for four nights. <laughs> <laughs> and then she pulled up and she just let him have it. Yeah. Uh, I thought another funny scene, a uh, good scene, was when they were speeding to get Lou Gehrig. He just got married. Yeah. And uh, 
they're they're they get pulled over by the cop. They're like, "Hey, you gonna make Lou Gehrig late for the World Series? They just got married, so they got the police escort taking them to Yankee Stadium." Uh, but something else about Lou is when um, his mom liked to control his life. Mm-hmm. Um, if you watch the movie, she's like, um, she's with the wife Eleanor, and she's like, "Oh, look at this this painting, this wallpaper." He's like, what, "What what's this?" She's like, "Oh, you know, look good. Lou had some of it, like when we were growing up." And you know, she's like, "Well, what about this wardrobe?" And she's like, "Oh, I already had this one delivered. You'll grow to like it." And how about this rug? Oh, we had this rug delivered. You know, you'll go. Lou had one, just like so. Basically, she she's about to have a nervous breakdown. She, I yeah. mean, you can tell she's getting mad. And um, so when Lou comes home or comes there that day, he goes in there and he talks to mom and he tells all the guys, get that stuff out of you. Stop putting that up, you know. Um, so basically he had to put a stop to his mom. And uh, so he goes in the kitchen or whatever she's cooking and he tells her, hey, yeah, you know, I told him to take that stuff down and put it back up. So that's the kind of, and then, you know, his mom, even though that it was always his girl, I think she finally realized that now he has another girl that's taking care of him. So that was a, that was a cool, cool little uh, scene in the movie too I thought that he actually stood up to his mom for once yeah and then you remember when his dad's like pulled him over to the side of that thing he's like hey come here he's like you better take care of this he's like but I gotta go <laughs> he wasn't sticking around to your mom's wrath yeah and they're cool at the end the mom kind of knows baseball and she's she's uh, talking about how the uh, uh, the manager made three boners this game and yeah and just <laughs> and then uh, yeah she she was uh, bringing up Uncle Otto in the in the beginning of the movie, and the, <laughs> yeah. she uh, uh, like, says, Otto, "Oh, who wants to be an engineer? He dig, he dig ditches. <laughs> so, you were a baseball player." <laughs> yeah, so it's funny to see your transformation, right? Um, you got anything else? Keep going if you do. Um, let's see. Um, I got stuff. I just got to find the stuff that's actually interesting. So uh, no, you're fine. So, um, one thing that Lou was diagnosed with was ALS, um, otherwise stands for amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, and that's basically like a degeneration of your muscles, um, and today is commonly known as Lou Gehrig's disease. Um, it's very, it's, it, it takes you out quick. Um, and here's 10 famous people that I found who died. Um, Ezra Charles, he was a boxer. George Yardley, David Niven. Uh, Lane Smith, who played uh, the uh, the editor in the Superman Lois and Clark series, um, uh, Mayo Zedong, uh, Dieter De- Dengler, Jacob Copper Javai, uh, Joey or Joe Stone, who was the voice of Cookie Monster, uh, Paul Salushi, and Lou Gehrig. So there's some people that have died that have uh, battled with. There's people today that still battle with this disease. And um, if you remember uh, the fad, uh, probably about two or three years ago, they had the ALS challenge where they dumped the ice bucket over you, you know, and then challenged three people. Um, that's where all this was stemming from. So go ahead, Dwayne. Did I stall long enough for you to find something? Yeah, I, I think, <laughs> and there's, let me let me check. I think there's one other guy. Yeah, you didn't, uh, you might have mentioned, uh, did he mention Stephen Hawking? Stephen Hawking. No, I didn't. Yeah, he also uh, okay. was diagnosed with ALS. So, I mean. It, but has he died yet? Yeah, he passed away. Um, okay. In this might have been an older video like, I was last year so oh, okay so um, um let's see um you know i, I find kind of interesting is that at the end i, I think we so they they sing uh old anxiety which we kind of associate with the new years right uh but it also i mean it's kind of i guess probably uh 
in back in the old times, uh, olden days, it also was kind of a funerals and graduation farewells or any kind of ending to that other occasion. So that's kind of um, why they play it there. It's it's yeah because um, I, I think we we primarily associate with just New Year's Eve, but I think in the past it's been um, broader use for any time of any kind of endings. So right, um, keep going if you got something before I get to the. The, the traumatic part of this and then um let's see um i don't know, i thought it was neat but they're going way way back to the beginning of the movie on their first date when they're going to the carnival um uh, <laughs> i bring it back to the, the, the music there was chicago um uh, uh which was published around the 1922 which was been around that time uh um and it's sung by both sinatra and tony bennett i just kind of picked that out and because because he's dating the girl and she's in Chicago, and so it's kind of a little, little uh, neat thing. They speaking eat. speaking of the carnival, man. What about where? Uh, what is it where he keeps winning her all those stuffed animals or whatever, and then he goes over <laughs> to the, uh, the 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 mighty man with a hammer to the bell. Yeah, he's like, oh, let's just keep going, you know. And then the one guy goes over there and he hits it. She's like, oh, you can do it for me, Lou. You can do it. So he gets up there the first time, boom, nothing. And then another little guy comes up there, ding, hits the bell. And then he's like, ah. Oh. And so he gets up there and he finally hits it. He goes, all right, let's go, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And I also thought it was a great scene where um, he gets right into town, and it's like 2 in the morning, and that police officer's like, he's creeping around her Eldor's house. And he's like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm, I mean, he's like, Lou, is that you? He's like, yeah. He's like, I'm trying to ask this girl to marry me. <laughs> you know? He's like, well, let me help. So they knock on the door. And the mom comes out. What are you doing here at this time? He's like, uh, he's here to call on Eleanor or whatever. So he goes in there and he asks to marry him. I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, there's just a lot of stuff about Lou Gehrig that was good like that. I mean, you got anything else? He's like, yes, no. Yeah. Um, Go for it. Okay. Stop the mic. Yeah, I have, uh, I have everything, and I'm just trying to pick out the interesting stuff from the non-interesting stuff. Maybe it's all non-interesting. <laughs> I don't know. Um, oh, it's interesting. There are some times where they kind of foreshadow his death in the uh, in the movie. Um, I know... Uh, oh, uh, Miller Huggins, near the beginning of the movie, says, What do we got to get, do to get you out of the lineup? Uh do we have to? What do we have to? Got to do? Kill you to get you out of the lineup, Miller Huggins? And it's kind of. I mean, it's very early in the movie. And I think, yeah, I remember that. And then there's another scene where they're out on the beach in Saint Petersburg, and um, well, didn't Babe Ruth even say, "I'll kill the guy that makes messes with my hat too"? Oh, did oh. I don't know what his exact wording was, or said something like, "Oh, wish he wouldn't have," or something. If I remember right, yeah, it's a great movie. Watch it anyway. But oh yeah, um, yeah, he just. Uh, says to his wife over my dead body and it's just kind of um to get back to that serious part there's there's kind of some foreshadowing they're doing in in the movie what do you mean lou gehrig died <laughs> no i'm kidding um so so we're going to get down to the ending of this um the, the the bad thing about this is once lou gehrig uh, found out from the mayo clinic when he was going to die or what he had um he goes to have a Yankee, uh, Yankee uh, Lou Gehrig Day at Yankee Stadium. And he goes in there and he delivers um, one of the most amazing speeches you're ever going to hear. Um, and I'm going to play actual Lou Gehrig, not from the movie, the actual Lou Gehrig at the end of this. Um, so you can hear it in his own voice because it was very ominous because he would talk and you could hear the echo. Like if you've ever been to a sporting event and they do the starting lineup or whatever, especially at baseball stadiums and the older ones, 
the echo would just echo off buildings and stuff. Um, but once that day was over and he, he did that, he died less than two years later, or right around two years. So that disease went fast, uh, really fast. Um, which this movie came out just 17 months after Lou Gehrig's death. That's a pretty quick film. To, to get everything put together from the time he died, just 17 months, that's only a year and a half, less than a year and a half to put this movie together. Yeah. So, um, so I think I'm going to go ahead and put in Lou Gehrig's speech right here so you guys can hear him. Uh, so take a listen to this. First baseman Lou Gehrig hung up an amazing mark by playing in 2,130 consecutive games. Then a fatal disease attacked baseball's Iron Man. In Yankee Stadium, touched to tears by the tribute, Gehrig made his last public appearance. For the past two weeks, you've been reading about a bad rag. Today, I consider myself the luckiest man on the face of the earth. When you look around, wouldn't you consider it privilege to associate yourself with such a fine-looking man as a standing in uniform in this ballpark today? That I might have been given a bad break, but I've got an awful lot to live for. Thanks. So there you have it. So, Dwayne, why don't you go ahead and give me your thoughts on this movie? I mean, this, this, this is a fantastic. This is one of the first movies I remember watching as a like as a kid, and it just it's it's so powerful. It, it tells the story of this man who uh, um, had all this talent, and he just uh, is given a bad break, as he said in the uh, in his speech. And it's uh, even even through that, he had a positive outlook on it, and it's just uh, it's it's. It's a it's an uplifting movie. I think. Uh, I mean, there's some there's some uh, some tough stuff at the end, but it's still you know he, you know he, he held us he could held us high and high just the way he dealt with uh, his uh, his his condition, and I think that's it's 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 really neat. Right. Um, one thing for me when he was like, I consider myself the luckiest man alive. Um, I, he's not only talking about his baseball players, you know, the teams. That he was on. He's like, I played with these guys. I played with the greatest Yankees of all time. Um, and then, you know, his wife. Um, at the end of this movie, when he just, after he gives a speech, he just walks down into the, the dugout and it goes dark. And it says the end. Um, everything that I've looked up about Lou Gehrig, I cannot find one thing that anybody has said bad about him. Not one evil comment. No, Nothing. Um, did you come across anything? Not with that. I know that him and Babe Ruth had a falling out, but it had more to do with his mother, right? And and Ruth's wife. But I, I as far as as Lou Gehrig, I, I know. And I, and I don't think I don't think that's Lou types Lou's type of character. I think that he said what he meant. He meant what he said. And if he told you he was going to do something, he was going to do it. Now, I mean, you can see the little mischief stuff where he's eating yeah. the hat just to be part of the thing. If you haven't seen the movie, watch the where he's eating the hat. And Babe Ruth finds him. Um, but man, what you know. I always give the Yankees a hard time because I think they're the evil empire. <laughs> I mean, honestly, when you win all those World Series, uh, since I've been alive, it's kind of depressing when your team never even makes the playoffs most of the years. Um, but, man, I would not mind owning a Lou Gehrig jersey. 
I would proudly wear that thing because I think he just from watching this and just from all the interviews I've seen and just his speech, I think he was a, not just an amazing baseball player but an amazing person. So, uh, with that being said, we're coming to the close of this. I think we've we've over. Uh, sorry, we were kind of discombobulated. We went from like his college days to some of the pro days, back to his college days, back to his pro days. But I mean, all in all, this is our first sports movie on the podcast. Um, I've got another one coming up, hopefully tomorrow. Um, we're going to be talking about Hoosiers. Um, if you haven't seen Hoosiers, it's the equivalent of this movie in basketball. Um, it's a real feel-good home homegrown story. Um, so be on the lookout for that. Hopefully we record that sometime tomorrow. Um, I'll post it on Facebook if we do. So surprise, you're getting two episodes tonight or today. <laughs> as soon as I get this edited out, I'll put it out there. So um, we're coming to a close, and I think that's a wrap. And you going to cut it or not? And, and cut. <laughs>